Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Right. Well, um, we come right. to the uh, the question and answers time of our, our session now. It's something that we uh, we've we've done uh, since we started. It's, it's something it's it's a great time whereby we sort of we can interact. Anything that's on our hearts over the weekend or or may have been uh, you know uh, something that uh, we've been thinking about for some time. Uh, it's a it's just a great opportunity to be able to ask. Uh, uh, speakers and and to hear what they they have to say on on those matters. So we've we've had uh, a great response this year. We've had uh, some fantastic questions come in. So thank you to to everybody. Uh, we'll do our best to to get through them as as much as we can. And and um, uh, but we also would like to thank uh, both Jeff and Chris for ministering to us this weekend. And uh, it's been certainly been a great blessing. I know for, for, for all of us here uh, to have you minister to us this weekend. So we thank you very much for that. And uh, we look forward to uh, tomorrow morning one last time with you, Chris. Yay. So thank you very much, brother. And uh, Jeffrey, thank you very much for your very practical sermon today. It was a, a great blessing. And uh, I know uh, you, you filled in last minute and uh, you, you couldn't tell, bro. So it was good. It's fantastic. Praise the Lord. Um, also, uh, this weekend we've had uh, Les Crawford. Uh, with us from Friends of Israel, and that's also been a great blessing. Um, he's about to close up shop after the Q and A, so he'll be here for a little while. Uh, but then after that, he'll be uh, he'll be closing off uh, just before dinner. So if you have any last minute purchases to to make, uh, now's the time, uh, or after the Q and A rather, um, is the time to to finish that off. And uh, and thank you very much to Les uh, for coming along and and sharing this. Uh, uh, his ministry with us over the weekend. It's it's a great opportunity for him just to be able to to put Friends of Israel out and uh, to get it to, amongst the the community and amongst the churches. So thank you very much to to Les. Um, and yeah, he'll be wrapping up shortly. So uh, after the Q and A, uh, you just make your way out and uh, catch up with him if you have any last purchases to make. So now the questions. Fantastic. You looking? You look, you look a bit nervous, Chris. I'm not. I'm fine. I like Q and A. Anxious for nothing. Yeah. That's it, brother. That's it. All right. I, the first question I was going to ask was, can you please explain the hypostatic union of Christ? But uh, I thought I would just we just let, save that one for later. So, uh, the first question we do have though is, uh, how can we train our hearts not to be intimidated or legalistic over unimportant matters? Hmm. That's a great question. I, I think, you know, obviously so much of what we've talked about is centered around God's Word in the sense that we're saturated in His Word. Hmm. And to be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5.18 is the same or very similar to letting the Word of Christ richly dwell within you in Colossians 3.18. Hmm. Uh, they're parallel passages and so being in tune with what the Scripture has to say uh, actually helps us to determine what the Scripture doesn't say. Mm. So one of the things that we try to cultivate at our church is that when the Scripture speaks to it, we are very serious about it, uh, very committed to it, uh, want to understand it, uphold it, honor the Lord with His Word, but when it's outside that context, we try to minimize it mm-hmm. and, and actually don't bother with it. We work hard not to bother with it. Mm. Um, I'll give you an example that you probably will not like. 
but we would have in Southern California students that might show up at church in ratty clothes uh, and a dumpy hat and no shoes. And my training at Grace Church, which is a very formal type church, Mm. was the ushers there would not do, (laughs) the very first thing they would do would be, oh, so glad to have you here today. And they would bring them right down to the front row and say, you need a good seat. (laughs) And literally, there's a young man, well, he's not a young man anymore, but um, he was one of my junior hires, uh, a name, Jerry Maddy, who came into church, torn up jeans, ratty t-shirt, no shoes. The usher brought him right forward and he got saved that morning. And, And he's serving Christ and still at that church. But had we looked at him externally on things that don't matter, he, he would have been, well, you shouldn't be here. Put some shoes on, you know, and pushed away when actually he needed to hear the gospel and God's word. So what matters? You know, what really matters? Well, the Lord doesn't look at externals. He looks at internal, the heart mm-hmm. issue. So we try not to make preferences and externals issues now, when someone becomes a believer, there might be wisdom in how they express their freedoms. But anything outside the context of Scripture, um, if I'm stepping on your air hose, forgive me, but during Christmas time in the U.S., there are people who put up Christmas trees. Are you with me on this? You de- decorate your trees here and stuff like that? No, we don't do that? Okay. You're going to throw a Bible at me in a second. I know. Okay, here it comes. So... We would just go, you know what, the Bible doesn't really speak to that. It does have a heritage in paganism, but, you know, people can look at something and go, you know what, we just love the greenery, we love God's creation. They're not looking at the history of it. They're just looking at the tradition, and they love to reflect over the season and focus on Christ. So what's the big deal about having a Christmas tree? So we just, we just don't make issues of things that are outside the context of Scripture. And if people want guidance, we'll try to walk through the various issues, but we try not to make that the thing that we're known for. We want to be known for Christ and His Word and the Gospel and authorial intent understanding of the Scripture and not our preferences, not our traditions. So training yourself is basically knowing the Scripture well enough and then kind of pushing the other stuff that that really doesn't matter. We made a commitment as an eldership. We would not get off on things outside the context of Scripture. And that gets complicated because sometimes people will abuse their freedom and you've got to come alongside and, and work that out because they want to be public about it and say, everybody should have my freedom. And I'm like, no, that's not what a freedom is. It's your freedom. It's not everybody's freedom. You know, there are people who might enjoy, oh boy, I'm going to step in this cow pie, huh? Um, they might drink wine, or they might, you know, do that. I, I, I don't, but there would be those who would, uh, not to get drunk, but would enjoy. I, I, that's not my thing. It's not our thing. I know I'm stepping on air hoses now. So, but understand, we would, we would just not, that's not an issue. It's an issue if you say everybody else should. Hmm. It's an issue if you tell everybody else they should. It's an issue if you do it in front of young people who don't have discernment. It's, you know, it, there, there are issues that come up, but we're not going to... It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He says, you know, <laughs> you know um, there's several exhortations not to be drunk, 
There's no exhortations about drinking. And I'm sorry if that offends you. There's wisdom in not, but I, we don't make an issue of it. So we have people who do, and I don't know, and I don't care. Because that's not what matters. What matters is are they following Christ? Do they love His Word? Are they filled with the Spirit? Are they obedient to Him? You know what I mean? And we want to be big on that. So we actually go so far. Sorry to dominate. Uh, <laughs> we go so far, and this is the last thing I'll say, is that we, we take the Lord and His Word really seriously, and we don't take ourselves seriously at all. I mean, we, we make fun of each other and ourselves more than we should. Because we don't, we don't, we think that's counterproductive. I, I just think it's counterproductive to sometimes lift up leadership too high. Now people do honor me and they respect me, but I don't ask for that, and I don't want to be put on anybody's pedestal, because I'm a servant of Christ, and He's the one I want to point to, not me. And it's really important to me. Again, I'm not minimizing what I do. I don't minimize the role of the pastor, teacher, equipping the saints. I don't the shepherd and the flock, I got all that, okay? But let's not put people on pedestals. Let's not have this superstar culture. Let's not do that. It's very damaging. It's distracting. It's off-center. And Jesus had some things to talk about titles. That's why nobody calls me doctor, okay? I don't like that. I didn't do that for that. I did it for a different reason. So does that make sense? You've yep. got to push away the stuff that doesn't matter, and you, you almost have to fight against it. Mm-hmm. And you've got to uplift the things, and you've got to train your heart that way. Mm-hmm. And when you're figuring out, well, wh- which one is it? Is this truth or is this preference? And that's where you need to study, mm-hmm. and you need to get the counsel of people to walk you through the Scripture and figure that out. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, Jeff. Yeah, just to very briefly, uh, how do you train your mind uh, to do what, what was the question? What was the... To minor on the not to be intimidated okay. or not to be legalistic. Okay, how, how how to be not intimidated or legal? In other words, how to be majoring on the majors and not minoring majoring on the minors. That's the beauty of actually uh, reading and studying scripture. Uh, you know, you're taking the whole big picture. So many Christians today don't see the big picture of books or the Bible or God's redemptive process and plan, and so they miss the woods for the trees, so to speak. And uh, they get caught up on all the little things and the minor things and the hard to understand things and the, and um, yeah and so they miss and so uh, one of my philosophies you know um, my wife Ox often asks me she said Jeff is this a hill that we should be dying on and so we look at it and decide yay or nay is it a hill and um, we look at scripture go at scripture no it's not a hill that we need to die on so uh, I think it's important to see the big picture on a lot of these things and learn to know what are the majors and learn to know what are the minors. Not not saying that the minors are totally insignificant and not worth think, considering, but yeah, that's the general idea. Train your mind that way by reading and studying scripture and seeing God's redemptive plan from where to go. Go to work. Uh, what's really helpful too as a leader is when you run into somebody who says, I don't think that anybody should ever do this freedom. Ever, 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 ever. If you just talk to them long enough, you can figure out what their preference is. So I, I would be talking to somebody who would be blasting someone else's preference, and I would find out that they have a sports idolatry over a team. You know, And it's like, well, okay, well, that's your preference. So get off your little hobby horse. You've got your little preferences too. Just relax over that. Let's pursue Christ. Can we, can we get off these things that are really non-essential? Absolutely, and we pursue Christ by right. studying the Scriptures. Fantastic. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, the next question, 
How do you find the balance between humility and resolving problems? Now, we have an example given. Uh, Should it be a goal to display radical humility as a witness to others, but at the cost of not getting justice or problems being resolved? It's got to be your one, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) You can dominate as much as you like. Well, I can't speak to a generality. Um, Obviously, there are some situations where, in defense of someone else, you, you might ask for justice. I can't. I don't know what the situation is. So mm. one of the things in a Q and A that that's so dangerous <laughs> is to speak specifically to a scenario that you yes. have no idea about. Yep. And so um, there there are situations where people would, you know, you would want to defend someone's something, you know, uh, not your own, but someone else's, and therefore you might not allow, you know, humility to dominate that situation, the graciousness of humility. But if you're in a witnessing situation, you should do that. And, and basically, if, if it's you who's paid the price, then, then pay the price and allow Christ to be seen. Within the context of Christians, again, if it's an unjust scenario to someone else, then you're you know, basically saying, oh, just let it go. It's, you're, you might want to be coming alongside your brother and saying, how are you? How's your heart? You know, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And it may be something that you need to speak up for mm-hmm. because you're then defending someone else, not necessarily yourself. Mm-hmm. So it, it, there's, there, there, there's a uniqueness there. But generally what I'm talking about is when the world explodes and life falls apart and everybody's you know, running around in circles and the non-Christian's just frothing at the mouth and whatever, that's your time to speak up. Mm-hmm. You know? And sure, you paid a price, but... This is your opportunity to so you know what this really doesn't matter. What matters is this. Hmm. I, I think too, and it probably was. It's kind of looking at Chris's messages and and what I spoke in my elective about justice. Um, I think we have to need to look at our at the agenda behind it, the personal agenda. Now, if there's sin, if someone knows of sin in someone's life, or etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, uh, as Chris said, you're not just sort of let it float by, oh, that's their business. Uh, you have a responsibility to come alongside that person and uh, in loving humility, uh, Galatians 6.1, restore such a one, and then it goes on to say, and, but be careful that you're not tripped up or tempted in the same area. Uh, we have a responsibility to confront that person with their sin now, um, in order to restore them. What the, the, the tension comes in is... is um, but is that your agenda to restore them or is it do you have a personal agenda or you, that you want to get your own back or you want to really deal it to this person in other words you want to give them your form of justice hey, I want to, I'm sick and tired of this person just doing this and this and here's an opportunity that I can really get at them you know, that, that, that's a fleshly wrong motive uh, to, to, to begin with and so you need to be very careful but at the same time we're not just to sweep sin under the carpet but there is a proper way of doing that, of, of, of honestly and humbly doing it. Uh, look at Jesus. Uh, he was accused of all sorts of things, but at the same time, he also confronted sin. Mm. And you will never say that Jesus was not a humble person. He was he, in all humility. We've heard about that. And so um, he confronted sin when it needed to be confronted. Uh, and so that's a classic example. Fantastic. Uh, our next question. With regards to conflict resolution in the church, how much of it is meant to be organised by the eldership or the leaders? 
and how much of it is to be organised by the ordinary church members, for example. So a problem arises, um, is it to be dealt with at a leadership level or more at a congregational level? <laughs> uh, that's pretty easy. Uh, <laughs> it's the responsibility of the leadership to teach God's word as it relates to church discipline and as it relates to how we uh, apply the scripture in our dealings with one another. That's their responsibility. So there needs to be a sense of uh, approval, permeation, and the fact that it's taught clearly. So understand church discipline or confronting one another is obviously found in Matthew 18 and in uh, Galatians 6, 1, talking about personal sin. Is there something going on? Yeah, we're just going to grab you another mic, Chris. Battery <laughs> pack. So anyway, you know, right on, bro. Um, so Matthew 18, uh, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Uh, it's 1 Corinthians 5. It's Titus 3. It's Romans 16. It's first. I mean, it's everywhere. And so it needs to be taught, clearly understood. We're seeking repentance. Uh, where, where there's no Gestapo squads in a church. Uh, hunting after sinning brethren. There's just the sense of structure that we deal with one another, especially when someone's caught in a trespass. In other words, they, they've made choices and now they're going down this road of somewhat defiant sin and we want to rescue them or they're going to leave their spouse or they're going to do something more horrific and we're going to walk down this road with them and pursue them. They say, well, who does it? Uh, it's whoever becomes aware of it. It's everybody in the church, right? It says in Matthew 18:15, if your brother sins against you, you you know go to him. And it says in Galatians 6 that if anyone is is stumbling over any trespass, you who are spiritual or those who are in the spirit would go and address that issue. So it's our responsibility to do that towards one another as a congregation and as a body. It's the responsibility of the leadership to affirm that this is what Christians do. So new people come to our church and we have a visitor coffee about every five weeks or, or two months <clears throat> and we explain to them all the things that they should know about our church before they could figure it out on their own. We tell them all our personality quirks you know, someone on the patio is going to say, you want to be discipled? So, I mean, there's just stuff that's going to happen at our church that they're not used to. And one of the things is we let them know we practice church discipline. And therefore, there's no Gestapo squad looking for your sin. It's that as you're defiant and you're caught up in sin, someone's going to love you enough to come and confront you. It's just going to happen. And it's going to happen in the context of the body. The elders really, in most cases, not all cases, most cases should know uh, when it's a personal sin, they don't know until step three. So someone co contacts them, they're unrepentant, then they bring two or three witnesses who don't have to witness the sin, they just have to witness the con confrontation. And then thirdly, they basically inform the church leadership at that point, and the church leadership gets involved when it's a personal sin. When it's divisive, 
uh, when it's something that they're hindering or pushing back on. Romans 16 and Titus 3 would say the eldership needs to be involved pretty quick because the danger to the body is pretty high when they're trying to be factious within the context of the church. And if the eldership is not aware of that, they need to be aware of that right away because they may have to act quickly. Uh, because there are certain sins in the context of the community that are much more serious than other sins. Um, so the answer is yes <laughs> to the question. Who should be more involved? Well, sometimes elders are when it's a divisive issue and they need to be informed right away. Uh, most of the time, though, we don't want to know when uh, it's personal sin because everybody in this room, don't take this out, don't freak out, everybody in this room has had experience step one of church discipline. Okay, you got married and your wife said something to you. You've experienced step one of church discipline, right? And you said something to your wife, correct? Right, you did? Honey, you need to stop that. You know, you're, you're really, you know, and she, oh, you're right, honey, I shouldn't be afraid. And that's step one of church discipline. You say, well, why is it called church discipline? Because that's the name that's called. So, I mean, that's what we do. So, but you, you, you confront each other, correct? Please nod your head a little bit. You do that. We're all involved in this. So it's a natural part of being a believer. It just sometimes extends beyond that as it gets unrepentant. So we're looking for repentance and as people get defiant, saying, well, I know what the Bible says, I'm going to do it anyway. The very first time as a 22-year-old, I was called to come alongside one of the elders and go with him to a man who would not return our calls. He was leaving his wife. We met him at his workplace so we could talk to him personally. He says, this is what he said, I'll never forget it. I know why you're here. I understand what you're doing. And just understand, I'm not going to leave this woman and I'm not returning to my wife. Do what you may. Okay? Broke my heart, but never, never forgot it. And he was unwilling to repent. And they went to step three, and then he was disciplined out of the church. He had no desire to be repentant. And that's where it was left. So that sometimes happens. But sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, I, I didn't know I was even you know, doing this. Or I, I, thank you for coming and loving me and helping me through this. Some of us get trapped in habits and things like that. We need the encouragement of one another. You know, if you really love people, you just you don't want them to get messed up by sin. So anyway, it's both. Leaders have to be involved, especially on divisive church-wide issues. You say, well, how do I know that? Well, they're trying to say the elders are terrible and we're going to divide oh, with this church and this doctrine's all wrong and that's divisive. Are you with me? Is there, you, you know it when you hear it. Uh, where it's a moral issue or something else, then it, it can sometimes be taken care of by the congregation and we should never know about it. I don't want to think about that and everybody in the congregation, oh, look, his wife confronted him today. I have to know about I don't want to know that. I don't want to know that. You don't want to know that, Right. No, I want to think better of you. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, and I, I would agree everything with what Chris has said. And one of the things that I do know that sadly, when it comes to who gets involved, um, often step one and two are sort of sidestepped, and uh, people expect step three, as it were, the elders, the church, to get it come in and stay involved. You know, it's. If you've got something against a brother or you see something, go and see him. This is part of the intimate fellowship of the church. And Chris is right. I don't want to know that. The elders don't want to know that. 
But because many believers don't like or they fear confrontation or they're anxious, which they shouldn't be, about actually speaking to someone about something, they think they can sidestep number one, sidestep number two, and come straight and see the elders. Uh, We won't let them. We don't let the people of our church do that. If they come to us and they start talking to us about Fred, we're like, I don't want to hear anymore. Okay, you go talk to Fred. And you go to him in humility. You go to him in brokenness. I don't want to go. I'm sorry, you have to go. If you know, you go. Okay? That's it. You know, God revealed it to you. It's your job now. Sorry. Uh, there's no way you can get around this. You say, well, it's not proper. I, I don't, it doesn't matter if it's proper or not. You go to him. That's the Bible says go. Go to your brother. So take care of it. Um, and then sometimes I have to hold them accountable to go. And then sometimes they don't tell us, and they're afraid to say anything to anybody. And then they really feel bad when it really gets serious. So, you know, you've got to encourage people to be responsible and to do what God has called them to do. And it's, it's their growth and that person's growth. And I find that the people that I come to, uh, we get stronger in our relationship when we talk through stuff. Now, if they're unrepentant, it goes down a road that I don't want to go down road. But if they're repentant, it's like, man, we're, we're closer than we were before. And we're, we're, and we're able to talk about things together. It's great. You know, we, we have a funny view. We, we get weirded out by stuff, and we shouldn't. The Bible's pretty clear and simple and direct. I like that, Chris. If you know, you go. That's, uh, that's great. Uh, you've kind of already touched on this, but, but this question, this next question... Um, is it okay to discuss theological concepts, though they may be against the philosophy of others or the eldership? And if yes, how? <laughs> you want to start? Oh, okay, I'll start. Uh, I, I would encourage discussing different theological concepts. Um, you know, I have a, run a theology class, practical theology class, on Sunday mornings, and uh, and that's a great environment to discuss different stances on areas of theology. Um, and, and even outside that environment, uh, I, I would hey, that's a, a, a excellent thing, you know, because uh, I was, when going into um, Bible college and um, etc., um, just seeing all the different views of people actually affirms greater your view. But there is a difference between discussing. Once again, you've got to have a look at the motive behind the mind, discussing different theological concepts just with that in mind rather than discussing theological concepts with the idea of pushing to those whom you're discussing your idea of what the Bible means and what this different this theological concept may mean when it's against what the church holds to. Um, now that can get very hairy, as the TV ad says, because what it does, it's okay, you know, if you, you get a person and trying to push their views across, which is in contra- contrary to what the church holds to and what the church statement of faith is, uh, and what we believe the Bible, or the church believes the Bible to, uh, put, that that could just all it does is cause division. You've got to be very, very careful about that. Uh, and for a start, if that person hasn't been given a platform and to, to be a teacher in, in, the, in the church it's on dangerous ground that's if it goes that direction but just discussing hey this is what this, these people believe that people believe um, I, I do that all the time Okay, uh, I meet with pastors for, and some of the guys here at the church and, and we have some differences in uh, 
things like eschatology and etc., uh, etc., et like that, uh, and, and the gifts, as it were. We have differences, um, and, and we discuss them, and I, they know where I stand, we know where they, I know where they stand. Um, but to try and push those in within a local church or someone push those in a local church to try and get a following or whatever, that would be, that's quite a different thing. I don't know what you want to... I, I want to just add to that that um, I, I think I'm trying to understand the question. So within the context of a local church, uh, the elders are responsible for the administration of the beliefs of that church and the doctrine of that church, the doctrine and direction. Yep. So if your desire, as Jeff has just stated, is to undermine that, um, you, you need to, if you can, change churches. You, you don't want to do that. You don't want to divide. If you're an elder, then wrestle with it with the elders. Um, or if you're a, le- a leader there, make sure you have permission from the elders to be able to... We're, now, we're not talking about open discussion. Just, hey, hey, let's talk about the hypostatic union. Woohoo! Let's go. You know, that's fine. Uh, we're just... I prefer, instead of the dialogue of theological concepts, to say, hey, show me a passage. Because my theology comes out of exegesis, not my theology determines my exegesis, mm-hmm. if that makes Absolutely. sense. So I want to talk about the scripture over theology. So we try to cultivate that atmosphere at our church. But what I'm saying is, is that within the context of a church, you, you want to make sure that you're not undermining the, the leadership of that church, which is trying to determine the headship of Christ. If you don't respect them or respect that doctrine, you, you, you may not have freedom to go elsewhere, but you should be quiet, okay? Uh, you should not cause division in that context and say, well, I, I believe deeply, I believe differently, but I'm going to have to choose. If I have no other place to go, uh, then I'm going to have to choose to embrace that here. Not embrace it, but just basically be quiet about it. It says in Titus to be silent. And uh, so therefore, in the context of that, you don't want to undermine... Um, the church by being divisive because what you're doing is you're messing with God's people. Mm. And we have a rule at our church, you don't mess with the sheep. You don't mess with God's sheep. Mm. My, my, those people at my church, they're not my church. That They're Christ's church. He died for them. They're His sheep. Yep. I have no right to mess with them. Mm. And therefore, I need to feed them God's Word. And if somebody wants to go, oh, I think you guys are wrong. Listen, our doctoral statement in details on the website you know exactly where we stand. We try to make that very evident to everybody. If you're trying to go in another direction, you have the right to talk to us as elders about that, and we'll walk you through where we're at, and then we may agree to disagree, or we may give you three books and say, read that and come back to us, or read this chapter, or read this book out of the Scripture. But, I mean, we're, we're very open if people are learning and teachable, but if they're trying to redirect our church, they don't have the right to do that. Mm. And same same goes redirecting people within the church as well. Correct. Well, that would be divisive. That would yeah. be saying, I want you to win you to my position against yeah. where yeah, the doctrine notice. and direction of this church is headed. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the key things in Acts is, right, they were one heart, one mind. And they were one heart, one mind in doctrine and direction. Absolutely. And therefore, we need to preserve that. That's the witness and testimony when Jesus says, we pray that they'll be one as we're one. We need to preserve that. And that means that you don't have the right to upset that within the context of the church. Now, we're the most open, wrestle-happy family on the planet. We'll, we'll sit down with anybody and wrestle with any doctrinal issue 
It's not a problem, but they're not free to be divisive or to win people to their position. Yep. And as they're working through stuff, we'll even say to people, please be quiet about this to everyone in the church, except you can talk to us anytime. Anytime. But that's what we'll work through. Um, but you're not free to divide a church. And I know some of you here probably go to churches where you're like, we worship there, but we don't like all the doctrine there. Well, I'm sorry, but you, you're not free to undermine that church. If they make you an elder there, then you can start wrestling on an elder level. But you're not free to divide a church. You, you never want to mess with God's people. Because you will find yourself, even if you're honoring truth, you're going to find yourself actually doing the work of the enemy. Because the enemy is the great divider. So. Right, fantastic. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Um, next question. How does one deal with unteachable... Me, is it? <laughs> old guys up here going, is that my phone? <laughs> All right. How does one deal with unteachable people? <laughs> Again, a general question. Well, there's multiple edges to that question. Yes. So one of the edges is... I believe in process, mm -hmm. and I believe sometimes guys are really stubborn and really set in their ways, and if you work with them enough, they'll, they'll be moldable, you know? And if the rules are that we're going to try to determine what the Bible has to say versus some theological smorgasbord out there, mm -hmm. a lot of times people are much more teachable when you walk them through Scripture, okay? Right. So I, I like guys who are tough. Mm -hmm. I don't like wimps. And I like guys who want to wrestle with stuff because they develop deep convictions and they become useful tools in God's hands. So I take that as a challenge. I don't, I don't like, oh, you're unteachable, get out. You know, I, don't, I, don't, I want to go, hey, let's, let's, let's sit down. Let's wrestle with this, all right? At the same time, if a guy's just digging his heels in and he wants to cause trouble and he's just, you know, I don't know. Sometimes it's like let him go and hopefully God will crush him at some point. <laughs> Uh, you know, you got to trust in the process. And then sometimes it's like, hey, you're unteachable. And that's a bad place to be. Mm. You know, you got to be humble enough to go, wait, if you show me from the Scripture, I want to be open to, mm. to listen and to walk if the authority of the Word of God is what's guiding me here. So part of it has to do with your competency in the Scripture and be able to walk that through. But, uh, you know, I want to give a guy a lot of opportunities, even if he's unteachable. But eventually, if he's going to settle into it, He's not going to grow. Listen, you understand this, okay? Some of you hate change. I get it. But you need to understand, if you hate change, that means you'll never grow, right? Because if you're going to grow, that means you're going to change. You're going to become more like Christ. If a church is going to grow, it's going to change and become more like Christ. You've got you to gotta embrace change. Change is what causes us to grow to be more like Christ. And so I'm not talking about radical and programs don't matter, right? He said, well, we've always done it. That's the seven last words in the church. We've always done it that way before. You know, That'll kill any church. Listen, you know, you've got to say, look, I'm not talking about doctrine. I'm talking about program. You, you understand the difference? You had a singing Christmas tree to reach the community, and, and, and you're going to continue that tradition until nobody comes to your concert ever. Uh, nobody wants to see it anymore, Right? You just when, when the horse is dead, get off. The program doesn't matter. Are you, principle does. Bible does. Not program. Hmm. Tracking with me? 
Yeah. Okay. So, I don't know. I went off. Not that was good. That was great. Jeffrey, anything to... Beautiful. Lovely. Next question. Is there a difference between vindication and self-justification? <laughs> Who's writing Vindic- these questions? <laughs> <laughs> this is brilliant. <laughs> the word vind- the vindication, I guess, was one of the, um, uh, one of the seven descriptions of what um, uh, I was talking about before of what true repentance looks like. And um, the Corinthians were known for their vindication. Uh, now, the difference between vindication and self-justification uh, absolutely there's a difference um, from a biblical perspective and so we go back to what uh, vindication meant um, in the scriptures they were they wanted to vindicate themselves they they had a, they they were dead keen to do that they were earnest in their uh, uh, in their expression to show that they were truly repentant so they wanted to put things right make things right not that ever not everything that would go back to exactly what it was before. No, that was not the ideal. They wanted to make sure that things were done rightly and righteously and in a God-honoring way. And others, they wanted to vindicate uh, themselves. But self-justification. Now, the, uh, once again, um, uh, self-justification is all about who? Self, right? Um, uh, when we are justified, it's Christ that justifies us. And uh, self-justification kind of answers the question. So if any person's got an agenda of, of just justifying themselves and to make themselves uh, look selfishly good or, or right for their own purposes, not for God's glory, uh, th- that's, what the, that's what it's all about, self-justification. Um, you know, Adam did that, for goodness sake. You know, they sinned. And God confronted him. Oh, the woman that you gave me, um, she gave me the fruit. You know, she, he was trying to justify himself for the sin that he blatantly chose to enter into. That's self-justification. That's not vindication. Vindication, too. Um, my mentor used to tell me truth in time. He said, you know, you, you have to look at life and eternity and not necessarily try to run around and defend yourself, but to say, you know, the truth typically, typically, not always, typically will be known in time. So if you've been in a situation where you've been slandered or you've been maligned or it's been very painful, the truth in time. Eventually the truth will win out. If you're genuine and you're pursuing Christ, then the character of your life is eventually going to be known by people. They're going to go, wait, wait, he's not that way. He's, he's still serving Jesus, you know, he's still loving the Lord, he loves the church, he's, you know, teaching the word, or he's ministering, he's loyal to his spouse, or, you know, whatever. Um, but you have to trust that sometimes you get in a heated situation, and it's like, am I supposed to run around and, and, and correct everybody, or am I just going to wait, and I'll say truth in time, you know, that, that God will vindicate when God chooses to vindicate. Truth in time. The truth will be known in time. Right I don't know. I it's you know, and remember this. Maybe it won't ever be done in your lifetime, but in heaven it'll be made right. Mm, absolutely. Right. So it's like, hey, if we're living for eternity, then this shouldn't be that big a deal. Mm. And listen, the more effective you are in ministry, the more you're going to get people wailing on you at work and in your neighborhood and at your church. So just get used to it. You know, we're we're supposed to be suff- persecuted, correct? And mm. We are promised suffering. We're promised suffering. That's I, probably not in your Jesus person pro- pocket promise book, but we're promised suffering. So embrace it. 
Great. Fantastic. Thank you for that. Uh, next question. This is a really good one, uh, especially in relation to the weekend. Uh, what is the emotional content of joy and how does it affect its outward expression? The emotional content of joy and how does it affect its outward expression? None of the definitions that I gave of joy had anything to do with emotion. Um, it's a deep sense of God's presence. It's a, a deep sense. It's not an emotional thing. We're very emotional uh, as in Christendom right now. And emotions are a part of our expression. You know, they, they come out. But joy is, is, a, is a core value of uh, divine delight. It, there's a sense of satisfaction and fullness. I suppose it finds some expression in our emotion, but it wouldn't be defined by that. Um, it, it's a, it's a, a sense of that I'm saved, I'm loved, I'm homebound to heaven. You know, it's all the blessings that are just saturated in that moment. And I think that at times it can bring tears or it can bring a sense of smile on your face, but I think that's part of the rejoicing part. It comes out as rejoicing. Um, you want to add anything to that? Oh, yeah, I was just thinking of some characters in the Scriptures. Uh, I was thinking of Peter. Um, in a lot of ways, he was an emotional sort of guy. Um, he was really out there. You know, God has wired us differently, and joy doesn't necessarily... It's a bit of, I think it's a bit of an oxymoron that we would have this inner joy that God has given us in Christ to be absolutely emotion, to ex, without expressing any emotion. You know, to go around with a 100% somber outlook, never have a smile, uh, never lift up our tone of our voice in uh, elation, uh, never sing hymns. With us, you know, you know what it is. God has given us emotion, just like He has given us everything else that we have. And so I'm thinking of Peter. You know, he was the guy who was probably expressed his emotion more than the other disciples. We saw the Lord walking on the water. Oh Lord, can I come too? So he cast off his clothes and he went into the water. The other disciples didn't do that. He he, he was he was really out there with it. So he expressed, oh, can I say, his, his emotion that he, uh, that he had that came from the joy that he had in Christ more than others. And so there's no kind of... See, it can be, I believe, expressed in many ways. And it will be expressed, but it's subservient to the inner joy. It doesn't mm. determine, as Chris said, determine our joy. Mm. Joy so, is much deeper than yeah, just an emotional... Yeah, yeah it, it creates an emotional response, but mm. it's not in itself emotion. Mm-hmm. And we don't seek it, you know, like, oh, I don't feel anything right now. There can still be joy. Mm. Okay, so it's not subservient to emotion or, mm. or dependent upon them. Yep. Uh, but it will often express itself mm. and in emotion, in tears, in communion. Um, and there's that sense of dissatisfaction. I mean, one of the greatest privileges that Jeff and I have is actually we're supported to study God's Word. And my sweetest moments before the Lord are on Wednesday and Thursday mornings when I'm actually in the text before I'm even preparing a sermon. And it's as if God's speaking to me in the original text, just working through the Lord and I in communion. You know what I mean? And I'm shedding tears and things like that. But it's, a, it's an expression of joy. Mm. But it's, it's not joy in and of itself. It's mm. the expression of it. Mm. It's 
bit like yesterday. I, I had to go and visit my friend in the hills, um, and his wife died yesterday morning with cancer, um, whom we're very good friends with. And, uh, and Merv rang me up. He won't mind me using as an illustration. And um, I was here on Friday, and I saw as soon as his name came up on my screen, uh, I knew exactly what had happened um, because we've been expecting this, especially over the last couple of weeks, for his wife to pass on. And I said, Merv, tell me. And Merv said, Jeff, Mary has finally gone home to be with the Lord. That was a bittersweet. And went up and saw them and we put our arms around one another. There was tears and we prayed together. He was expressing his joy in the Lord in different ways. In, in prayer and tears and uh, fellowship. Uh, of course emotion is involved. And he knows his wife's gone home to be with the Lord. and His faith has been affirmed in the Lord. And there was joy all around. His family were there also in the Lord. And uh, hey, there was a joyous occasion, but... It wasn't, yeah, it was just, that was a way of expressing it. You've kind of already answered the next question. How does uh, happy differ from joy? Um, yeah, you kind of uh, touched on that already, but um, anything to add so to that Simply, over, oversimplification, happiness is dependent on circumstances. Yep. And joy is just dependent upon your relationship with Christ. Hmm. It's It's not dependent on any circumstances. Mm. That's why you can be joyful while they're lining you up and about to shoot you or burn you at the stake. There were Puritans that just manifested great. They said uh, of one man, the first man who was killed by Bloody Mary, that he was walking to a wedding and it looked like he was celebrating. You know, he was filled with joy, but his circumstances, he's about to be lit on fire. Mm. Um, and... Um, yeah, I, I just think that we, we, we sometimes are so committed to feeling or to happiness, it's just knowing joy is it's going to affect the way that you think and feel and act mm. in situations because of the presence of God and the, present, and the fullness of God and the d- divine treasures of God himself that are a part of our salvation. Mm. And, this, and this is... From the other side of it too, we need to be very careful sometimes of um, groups of people, maybe even churches, who are all fired up and you may get the uh, comment, oh wow, those people are so full of the joys of the Lord. Look, they they clap, they sing, they're up on the stage dancing, they're jumping up and down, there's great, you know, man, they are really happy in the Lord. You know, why don't we see that? In our church, in kind of words, that we can determine joy wrongly by external kind of happiness, mm. and that is very, very immature. Can I say? So we need to be careful on that one. Right, fantastic. A bit of a, a personal question now uh, to you both, um, and Chris. Again, you already kind of touched on it. Uh, what does your quiet time look like when you spend time with the Lord? Uh, what does that involve? Um, yeah, what, what does that what does that time look like for you both? Well, I I have the uh, there's some people who say well your sermon should not be your quiet time and I think that's ludicrous. Um, I don't really study to produce a sermon. I study to enjoy intimacy with Christ, and out of that comes a sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a discipline to it, but there's communion, and I love. Uh, intimacy with Christ and my vehicle to that is the word 
and now I have the tools to go beyond the English Bible into the, into the original Greek and to really wrestle with what he meant by what he said and to be overwhelmed by it. Uh, it's the sweetest part of my week. And I, 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 I study on two and a half focused days, but it's really all week long. I, I carry manuscripts and little Greek charts or little breakdowns of the language or, or the passage itself because I want to be ruminating it on all the time. And that's where I have my sweet times with him. And I, you know, I have kind of who I pray for every day. And I have kind of little routines that I walk through in praise and in worship and quiet and communion. Um, uh, but my time in the Word is where I, I, I'm listening to the Lord. And those are the sweetest moments for me. I look forward to that. It's like uh, people say, you should take that on vacation with you. And I'm like, no, 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 that's the best part of vacation. Best part of vacation is I, I'm just just with a pen in hand, trying to figure out what he's saying and what he meant and what he's communicating to me. It's his word. He's speaking to me. It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's my food. It's everything. So I, I mean, it's what Jesus would say if he were here physically. He would speak his word. I want to hear from Jesus right here, baby, right there. Okay. I mean, this is what he said to us. He's spoken his word. And, um, you know, we if you treasure that and you, uh, you know, meditate on that, all those promises, you know, how does a young man keep his way pure? By, by treasuring his word in your heart, you know. And so I, I want to be that guy. I want to be the one who's constantly ruminating and chewing on his truth. Um, and uh, sometimes you go through seasons where it's a lot more difficult, but uh, I that's the best part of my, you know, my... My calling is to have that time with Him and to stop and to worship and to pray and to sing and to think and to commune and ponder and listen. I, I went through a series on Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. That's the marriage one. Remember, you know what I'm talking about, Ephesians 5. I walked out of that study and I just, you know, would go up to my wife for like five, six weeks in a row. It took me about 11 weeks to get through the whole passage. And I just, I'm just a terrible husband. Uh, please forgive me, you know, and, and I, I'm really not a terrible husband. I mean, uh, I love my wife, I adore her, I cherish her, but as I came across what the scripture had to say, I just found inadequacies, you know, ways that I could grow, ways that I could improve, and that's very convicting to me, and it was the Lord speaking to me and, and helping me, you know, and moving me, you know what I mean? It's this, anyway, sorry. I guess um, just going back to or looking at the question, or quiet time, I, I know what the person means. Um, uh, I need to be a little bit more structured than um, Chris here. Um, otherwise, everything will get lost uh, in the day ahead of me. Um, and so every morning, my wife knows this, and so uh, she gives me time. Uh, I will sit in my chair and I will open the scriptures and I will read. Even to the point, yeah, this is totally separate from any of my preparation or anything. I need to be in the Word, feeding on the Word every day. Uh, yeah, sometimes I miss it, you know, uh, or for whatever. It's probably my own fault or whatever. And I really miss that. I need to be in the Word. And, and it's so structured. Actually, I, I use a uh, Robert Murray McShane Bible reading plan. 
where you'll have four or five chapters every day, some in the Old Testament, right into the New Testament. And as I read that, it's just a guide. You know, It'll take me through the whole scriptures, and I just love that. Uh, it gives me a, a whole... It keeps me in focus of God's redemptive plan from Genesis to Revelation every day. And um, I, as I read the word, I don't just grip read over it just to, okay, I've done that chapter or two chapters or whatever it may be, okay, on with the next. I will read it and purposely ask the text, Lord, what are you saying in this? What's, what's the big idea? What's, the, what's happening in here? What can I learn from this? And, um, and, and as, I, as I read through it, I just sometimes I have to read over and over again because I'm a bit slow, you know, and I, I just read and read. And then when I come to pray... I have got so much material to pray because I've got the Bible, the text right in front of me. And in my prayers, I will recall and regurgitate what I've read and speak to the Lord about some of those things, even if it's Old Testament stories. Right now I'm looking into Samuel and David and his life as a king, etc., etc. And so I'm... I'm communicating and talking to the Lord in my prayer about that. And I will spend quite a bit of time just speaking to the Lord about what I've read and praying to the Lord to teach me. And then before I go on and pray for the saints and the church and etc., etc., etc. So I count my every morning time of reading and praying a very, very special and an absolutely essential part of my Christian life. Otherwise, my place here as pastor-teacher will become purely professional. It's down to that. And I never, ever want to do that. I want to keep an intimate, personal relationship with the Lord. And that's one of the absolute key ways of doing it for me. I, I have the privilege of walking through all theology and all Bible, uh, the entire Bible and all practical theology every other year uh, with the training center. So I, I get to be exposed to the whole of Scripture and I'm only saying that because my wife also goes through the whole Bible every six years as she teaches children's curriculum at our church. And so we never run out of things to talk about, yeah. right? Cause, uh, and sometimes it's really sad. We talk more about her lessons to her kids than my sermons, which is scary. Uh, but it's because she's talking about, you know, Obadiah. You know, and we're like we're we're not as familiar with Obadiah as I am with Second Timothy. You know, and so uh, we're working that through. And I recommend that you know it, you if you put yourself in a situation where you have to teach through the Scripture, uh, I train guys through the Scripture, but teach them the Scripture. It's just it's really fresh in our marriage. There's always something to talk about. There's always a question. There's always Gene. You know, kind of we're wrestling stuff through together. And it keeps it fresh, too. It's just a different dynamic. It's not a quiet time, but it's mm. just keeping your home saturated in the Scripture. The things that we talk about, we talk more about the Word than we talk about anything else. Yeah, you've always got something to say. All, well, and there's always something to learn. Absolutely. I have not yet plumbed the depths. Mm. Fantastic. Uh, this next question is uh, aimed more specifically at you, Chris. Uh, just going on something that you, you mentioned um, Chris, you explain. I, I apologize in advance for what I said. So. <laughs> you explain in detail what gentle spirit means, along with all the translations. Uh, how confident can we be in our personal reading of these English translated Bibles? You can. Uh, you can be very, very confident that your English Bible, if you have a good English Bible. So, 
<laughs> I'm going to recommend a couple of versions, um, and then you can hate me later. Uh, but the ESV and the NASB are as uh, they're trying to be direct translations. They're not paraphrases. They're trying to be direct. Uh, New King James, okay, but still some archaic language there. But the those two um, are you're going to be very confident. You can do a lot of exegesis, a lot of study from those uh, versions and uh, find yourself in a good place. Very rarely do you have a verse like the passage that we looked at in uh, verse 5 of Philippians 4. Um, and that is something that if you were to read a commentary about, they might say that this is a, a difficult verse to translate. You know, um, and, uh, and really it requires almost a phrase to actually understand it. Um, but that's pretty rare. I, I don't want there to be any discomfort. You're, you're 98%. You're going to be right, right on the money. Maybe 99. There might be just one or two things. You're like, well, wait, what do they mean here? And, um, and that's part of the job of Bible teachers is to bring that out. You know, we're expo- Exposition means you're drawing out of the text what it says. You know, exegesis, drawing out, eisegesis, reading in. So our job is to draw that out for you. That's why you have Bible teachers. So that's, you know, their, their purpose. Um, and so, but you can have confidence in that. Great. And then I would highly recommend the MacArthur Study Bible, but that's because I know the guy and I know the, what the notes are. So, yeah, it's, it's health, healthy and helpful. Fantastic. Jeff, anything you want to briefly mention on that, mate? Chris is sitting Great. Uh, I'll ask a few questions before we before we close off. Uh, just quickly, uh, what should the role of fasting be in the Christian's life? We've we've heard today about prayer, but uh, what about the role of fasting in the Christian's life? Well, as you know, some need to fast more than others, and I'm one of them. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, that's not the um, that's the idea of fasting. Prayer and fasting uh, they kind of go together. Um, I believe fasting, uh, from a uh, from the Bible, from a biblical perspective, is 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 for the purpose of of an individual, and sometimes it can include a group, it can include a church, but generally an individual who wants to, who maybe are wrestling over some issue or working through something where they want to really understand the mind of the Lord on that, and so they will. Fast, they will either go without food or, or or whatever until not dangerously so. That's not wise. Uh, until they, in the study of the scriptures and with prayer, they will um, understand from the scriptures God's answer to it. Now, um, it's it's not something that I think that's what the Pharisees were doing in Jesus' day. They were fasting and and they were letting everyone know it. And um, for the sole purpose of, hey, well, look, we're real spiritual because we're fasting. Uh, and that can actually kind of creep on people who fast today. If they don't watch it, they do it with the wrong purpose. But, yeah, I, I would believe so they can give themselves to the Lord and, and work through some specific issue to... Uh, yeah, it's focused prayer. Yeah, focused prayer. It's, and it's not legislated by anyone unless a church agrees that we're going to do this together or, or a group of people. Um, it should never be to pat yourself on the back spiritually. It's to be to allow you to focus more. And so even as you think of your hunger pains or 
whatever you're, you're saying. No, I'm, I'm giving this time to focus prayer. I'm, I'm seeking the Lord in focused prayer. I, there's something that's weighing on me. It's often brought about by a, a trial or a circumstance or a desire to know His will in a direction. And there seems to be no other help except that I would be focused in prayer. And so therefore I fast, I don't eat, because I'm going to give that time to prayer, and I'm not going to allow other things to distract me. Um, but boy, don't make it, you know, i got to fast so I can lose weight. Uh, i got to fast because, uh, you know, I, I, I want to, you know, brag or, or let people know that I fasted. It's like, oh man, that's just exactly the opposite of what the Lord desires. It's between you and Him, and you're supposed to determine that time as a focused time. And some people in the room would do themselves harm, possibly, by fasting. So you want to be careful medically that you don't put yourself in a really uh, physically strained situation. Uh, there are others of us that we could go for a week and no big deal. Uh, but there's some that that would not be a, a really wise move. So it should be driven by a desire for focused prayer. Great. Um, second to last question, um, how can we display shocking graciousness of untamed humility in situations uh, such as bullying in, in the workplace, especially if, uh, if you're the one being bullied, so to display shocking graciousness of untamed humility? Not knowing the situation and its specificity, it could be somebody asking that question who is obnoxious and everybody hates you. Uh, and so at the workplace, and your untamed humility just makes them nauseated. Um, it could be that you're you know, in a situation where it's really unjust and, and you want to just be humble and say, hey, or, or embrace it or uh, deflect the, uh, the meanness of it. Um, or it could be that you would show sacrifice to those people who actually are bullying you and bring them presents or food or graciously care for them that would like, why are you doing this? Well, because I want you to know that I'm, I'm driven by different motives than you are. You know, I, I, it, it's not knowing the situation does not enable me to actually address that specificity of a question. Um, but uh, you know, you're trying to say, how can I put Christ on display? How can I do something that would shock them? I, one of the things that parents, as they have children that are really wrestling with their faith, or children who are, have walked away from their faith, it really sometimes requires to open up that discussion again. The, the dads and the moms have to think differently about how they treat their kids. They have to shock them with levels of growth or humility to gain their attention back. So they would say, why are you different now? Well, it's because I'm so burdened about your condition. And I love you, and I, I just want you to know that I'd, I'd do anything that you would know Christ. You know, I mean, it's just, there's, there are ways that we can react in situations at work, even when it's unfair and unjust, and maybe people would take advantage of that, but I guarantee you that there are others who are watching, and they may come to you, you know, and they may defend you down the road as you express humility. 
So you just have to wait and watch. Go ahead. I was just thinking, um, you know, the word bullying, okay, it's as old as the hills, can we say? But at the same time, it has become a very um, modern concept that's being out there and, and the public and the culture, etc. And so uh, you've got to think, well, what is this bullying? And I don't know the, uh, the situation behind the question, but it could be just persecution in the workplace. Uh, maybe that's, you know, where's God in all this? Is, is he in control or not? Uh, you've got to go right back. You always begin with God. And so um, I'm not belittling the situation that the, the, a person or, uh, is in, um, if that is the case. But um, it could be that it's a form of persecution. That's what it is. And uh, the Lord has allowed you to be in. And uh, you've got to shine in that dark place. Uh, however, whatever you can, it may be to uh, bring food or, or whatever um, uh, to shine the light of Christ in that place, in that environment. So uh, we are going to be persecuted in one way or another, and some are called to that road more than others. Yeah, it's, um, again, simply stated, you want people to either come to Christ or become like Christ or see Christ in your actions. And so it's, how am I going to accomplish that? Um, and, you know, you pray for wisdom and you talk to people who know you well and maybe understand your situation and they can come alongside and pray for you and, and ask for wisdom. You know, ask the Lord, just like James says, ask for wisdom and let the Lord guide you in that. Because this is not a, an absolute, it's a, it's a wisdom issue and it's an opportunity. And it's right, Jeff might be right, it's just be, maybe you're going to be persecuted, that's just the way it's going to be. But there are other situations where you say, well, no, I can still put Christ on display. Somehow, some way, and that's what I want to do more than anything. And people say, "Why are you doing that?" Because I want you to see Christ. I want you to know Christ because He is the one you're going to have to answer to. And I, I, I want you to know Him before you. It's too late. Uh, our final question for for tonight, as we as we wrap up, uh, standing firm has has obviously been the theme for the weekend. Um, but can at times uh, standing firm cause us heartache and pain? And uh, if so, uh, can you give, or what word of encouragement would you give? Yeah, of course it can cause heartache and pain. Um, just go back to the last question, you know. Obviously the person who um, is feeling heartache and pain um, and uh, they need to stand firm in that situation. And any person who stands up for the Lord and stands firm in the Lord, which we all need to do, will feel the brunt. We're living in the world, right? Uh, and um, and we're going to feel it. And the world is is hostile against God, and so because of that, it'll be hostile against us. And um, and so, of course, we're going to feel heartache. Uh, we stand for the Lord in our families and all of a sudden there's one of members of our family take off and they hurt us and they grieve us and cause us much heartache as they walk away from the things of the Lord and live a rebellious life. That's going to happen. But how do we stand firm? We must stand firm in that, even amidst the heartache and the pain because it's only temporary. Okay. The Lord will come. So what, that was the that was the part that was the question. How do we stand firm? Uh, what what word of encouragement would you give? Okay, so yeah, well, Chris can give the word of encouragement. Obviously, <laughs> <the> situation. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah, you can't lose your joy. You can't lose your salvation. You know, if you're in Christ, you you have all the resources of Christ. You have at any moment you can be in His presence. You know, at any any part, any day, no matter what, you're you know He's He's with you. He cares about you. There's you don't lose anything. Uh, they can take your life away. We just sang, you know, our great uh, mighty fortress is our God, and hey, the body they may kill, God's word abideth still. You know, I mean, we're, we have to recognize this is a, a fallen, hostile planet. And it's only our culture that's allowed us to think that it's anything otherwise. But uh, at a moment of God's choosing, if he releases, in a sense, his restraints, uh, you're going to find that people hate you. I mean, literally hate you. They want to kill you, and at any time they might do so. Uh, you have to understand, this is a fallen, hostile planet. So therefore, you know, what's going to matter? Well, only one life soon passed, only what's done for Christ will last. I mean, you're, you're serving Him. And so understand that uh, who are you going to live for? You know, what's going to matter? What's going to count? Um, and the only thing that really matters is Christ. And, and that's what's going to count for all eternity. So we seek Him first and His righteousness, and we love Him because He first loved us, and we seek to honor Him and by following His Word, and we trust that He'll work out all the consequences. I mean, the, the, the joy is is that when you're in heaven, you won't be going, man, that was rough. You're going to go, I'm in heaven. You know what I mean? I'm delivered from all that. I'm done with that. I mean, it's, it's what we're looking for, and it's the home that we belong we, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. This is just a blip on the radar. You're going to be suffering here. There's persecution here. There's trials here. There's death here. But death, where's your sting? It's not, it's now it's been taken care of. Okay, we get to be, you know, absent from the body, home with the Lord. And so, hey, realize it's not a nice place. I hope you're less and less enamored with earth and more and more enamored with heaven and that it's worth it to you to go, if I stand for Christ, I get hit, but hey, I got a home that I'm going to and he's all that matters. We're to be proclaiming him. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you so much, uh, both Chris uh, and Jeff, for, for ministering to us the last hour and, uh, and over the course of the weekend. Uh, it's been a great time of, of encouragement and, and fellowship with you both. Um, just as as we close off, uh, Jeff, I'd like to just like you to uh, finish the day in prayer and uh, and commit uh, this time to the Lord. I want to sit down here and pray. Let's just bow our heads before the Lord, Father in heaven. We do give thanks uh, for this day, and uh, Lord, I just thank you for the faithfulness of your people. And for each and every saint here, they're a trophy of your grace. And, and Father, we thank you for their shining today as they have listened and taken in uh, the ministry of your word. And and uh, I just thank you for every challenge to our own hearts. And uh, Lord, our prayer is that we might not only be caused to think, but Lord, change us, transform us, we pray, so that we're more and more like the Lord Jesus. We thank you for one another. We thank you for your grace and kindness and goodness in our lives. And uh, we just ask that you'll continue to watch over us and bless us. We thank you for the resources that you have given us in Christ. And, Father, we commit one another to you and give thanks uh, for this wonderful time again together. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Fantastic.